Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 26, the U.S. No Show. Big Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. For all new listeners, welcome in. You're in for a real treat today because I have a little pop quiz for Eddie and Sam. So before we start, how are you guys feeling? Yeah, I'm okay. It's interesting you say pop quiz because one of the topics I wanted to bring up over the past few weeks, I've been routinely, I hate dream discussions, but I hate when people tell me about their dreams. I think it's like the least interesting thing someone can tell you about. But I have been having consistently this same dream where I wake up feeling as if I'm back in high school and that I have a test to take, like routinely. And every time I wake up, and it's usually like a calculus test, like I can remember, it's like my 11th, 12th grade maths exams. And every time I wake up and I kind of have that maybe 30 seconds where I'm still thinking that's reality, I then try and think about if I could pass it. And each time I come to the conclusion that I'm screwed and I'm going to fail. And then I think back, I then spend the next five to 10 minutes thinking back on how I ever passed it in the first place. Like legitimately, I have no, I have like no memory of really ever learning calculus, for example, if you see what I mean, like I've retained almost none, no, like zero knowledge. And I don't understand. I can't remember a moment in time when I ever knew it. Oh, Eddie, you're you're preaching to the choir here about not remembering no, what I know, you've you learned. Got CTE, that's different. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think I I took calculus in tenth and eleventh grade. I took it really early and like got you know fives on all the APs, and I can't remember any of it. I'm with you on that Cal- one. Calculus is just math, isn't it? That's all you do. Yeah, it's just math. Great, <laughs> hey, Sam. <laughs> I mean, it's not too. Pl- it's not. It's not basic, arith- basic arithmetic. But yeah, it is a form of falls under the umbrella of math. Yeah, but you know, actually, Eddie, that you said is exactly reminds me because I was watching Mean Girls like two weeks ago, and she does the the math the mathletes thing contest, and they go through. They're doing calculus there with like limits and all of that, and I'm just like limits, oh. man. I don't the remember limit does any not of exist. that shit. Yeah, the limit does not exist. <laughs> like, uh, honestly, I think if someone I remember what, him- Aaron just got a haircut that weekend. Oh, his haircut looks so good. <laughs> remember when I asked him what day it was? It's November. Okay, all right. Calm. We're not a mean girls podcast, all right? But if someone <laughs> we can be, we could I, be. If, we should be. If we should be. Taken, it's definitely taken. If someone sent me an email and told me that I'd failed, it tur- oh, they'd like look back through the records and it turns out I'd failed all of my high school math exams. It wouldn't stun me. Like I, I genuinely, it's it's not even no longer remembering the information. I can't remember even knowing the information. That's what blows my mind. It Most sounds topics, like you're questioning whether it even happened in the first place. Oh, if, if <laughs> like, like Elon Musk tried to convince me that this was some second reality that I had now kind of transported myself into and like a previous version of myself had, had learned calculus and this version of myself hasn't, he could probably convince me on that. So who have you spoken to about this dream? 
Is it just us? Have you just told us and the listeners, or have you? Yeah, just unpacked just, it just with... the world through the public domain. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I now understand why you don't like when people tell you about their dreams. No, I hate dream stories. <laughs> Genuinely, when people tell me, "Hey," and I've obviously not random people, but you, if it's someone who I, <laughs> I random, random people just stopping him. <laughs> Sometimes I mean, it looks very me. interesting. They like public transit. Advice. The shit you'll hear. But if it's someone obviously who feels like they have a relationship with me where they should tell me their dreams, I always tell them, let me tell you a few things I'm imagining right now. Like, it's just not interesting for me to you to tell me just like things your brain thought up. Like, it's not. Uh... But it is your subconscious. I mean, there must be something if you're constantly having this same dream. Have you considered dream catchers at I mean, in this, oh, I can I send you a dream catcher if you want. Yeah, yeah you can okay. have a dream catcher. We got a lot of them in Arizona. I, I, I'll get you a good one, not a fake one. Okay, I'll, I'll get you a legitimate. Oh, dream okay, catcher. yeah. <laughs> as long as it's a real one. I, 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 I have read. It. I have read a number of articles about how people are having like stranger dreams now that, uh, like during lockdown, and I guess maybe because your if your brain is less stimulated at the moment, then the kind of dreams you're having are very different. Um. So that does make sense to me. And maybe that's why I'm having dreams from a past life and not from a current one. Maybe you're just craving some math. You want to learn about... That's, no, 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 that's and... definitely not true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe true. you're just not, you're not being stimulated in the way you used to with calculus and your brain is telling you, you need to go back to the basics. You need to go to the old days when you were truly stimulated. You need, yeah. you need some, you need, you need to just look at some triangles. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I don't think, and I don't think any teacher that ever taught me math would ever say that I needed more of it. It was very clear that I had no interest and that I was just doing it because it was a requirement and that was it. I love the idea of just like you and your teacher, like agreeing at the start of the year that this is redundant. <laughs> I think that you always knew, I think teachers, when they were teaching me math, realized very early on that I was like going to do well enough that I was not going to hold anyone else in the class back and that like I was going to pass and like have a decent grade. I never had horrific grades in anything, but that I was not interested enough in the subject to warrant any additional attention that like I had basically hit the sweet spot for them where they didn't need to teach me. Like oh, I was going to, I was okay. going to get it done, but I didn't, I wasn't worthy of the additional attention to be like, maybe we can get him to another level. I was just me present there. I was going to fill it in and done. Was it your worst subject at school day? Or did you have another one that was even worse? Like grade one? No, ma mathematics was definitely the worst thing for me. I wasn't horrific, but like, because it required the most F, like I was willing to put an effort in some other subjects, but with, with math, it was just usually did the homework and that was as far as we were going to go I, I mean you you can clearly guess what my worst subjects were <laughs> anything language based I took eight <laughs> years of Spanish I don't think I could even speak for one sentence with a Spanish person <laughs> that's pretty bad <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad for eight years I did I did two years of French and that was my worst grade subject well we know that we we heard you Never try pronounce back. names during the children <laughs> festival <laughs> very clear that French did not roll off your tongue. No, too quick for me. Hated my teacher as well. I usually found there was a correlation between hating a teacher and then therefore hating the subject. 
See, I actually, I really liked my calculus teacher. I think we had a kind of love hate relationship, but she, where she was maybe mildly frustrated. Well, that's the interesting thing. Love of the weekend, hate in the weekday. (laughs) She was also my health teacher. So, um, and our class, like she famous. Yeah. I don't know why. All this talk reminds me of the Nick because I'm flowing through watching the Nick now that it's on HBO max. And there's a lot with, uh, syphilis and everyone contracting syphilis and their nose falling off, which I still haven't looked into further as to why that happens, but I'm, I'm interested in the medical reasoning for why their nose just starts to peel off. It's really gross. <laughs> I'm glad at least it intrigues you. Oh, that show really intrigues me. It's really cool. I wish it, w- I, part of me wishes it were more factual, like more truth-based because then it would be really interesting to act, to see the actual progression of science, but it's more like this one guy in the hospital is inventing several yeah. like, he's like an amalgam of historical characters. Yeah. 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 But it's still cool to think about how far science has come and medicine has come in like a, a century. All right. So should we start the quiz? You want to do the quiz? Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, for... Maybe so... it'll give me some good dreams. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to hear any more dream stories. So, so as usual, clickbait got me interested. There was a thing on Facebook that said, what is the greatest opening lyric of all time? So that got me reading through a bunch of the comments and me realizing that I could not guess 90% of these lyrics that people are putting out there. So then I did a little Google search and I found some articles that kind of say like the greatest opening lines ever. I've picked a Buzzfeed one and it, they are clearly not the best opening lines ever, but the quiz will be, can you name the song or the artist, either one that the opening okay. line is from? Is this like fastest, fastest finger or are we alternating one for me, one for Sam? <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about sex ed anymore, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to pull out at the final minute. What What would you prefer? Let's just try I mean, and guess you, them. Whoever do you gets think we're going to get most of them? Yeah, I've I've picked a bunch to start early with some easy ones to kind of warm you guys up. Alternate then, because if okay. we're going to both get them, it, it saves us shouting over each other. Okay. Might so Sam, I will start. Here, but... I will start with you, Sam. So I will try my best to read these in a monotone voice and not sing them, which is, I think, the hardest part of this pop quiz. Okay. Okay. One. Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. That's Wannabe by the Spice Girls. Boom. Nailed it. That one is very difficult to just say. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, you're looking <laughs> yeah, at Sam it, as if he's achieved it something. Was, it was the most out of character thing for you as well, <laughs> you saying those <laughs> words. So don't worry. All right, Eddie. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Bohemian Rhapsody Queen. Good. All right. Starting off a little easy just to get you guys a little warmed up. Thank you. All right. Sam. Oh, well, imagine as I'm pacing the pews in a church corridor. And I can't help but to hear. No, I can't help but to hear an exchanging of words. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> wow. What a beautiful wedding. What a beautiful wedding set a bridesmaid to the bride. Or something oh. like that. <laughs> oh, um, 
Well, panic at the disco. Panic at the disco. I think that's a song that was much more famous in the US than it was in the UK. Not that it wasn't big, but like. Yeah. Closing the goddamn doors or whatever. Eddie, this one's only three words. So let's see. It's a little tougher. Ready? I'm ready. Let's go, girls. Oh, come on. Is it? No, I don't know. Sam? Shania Twain, isn't it? Yes. Man, <laughs> I feel like a woman. <laughs> All right. I'll save that one. All right. Sam, you're up. Ground control to Major Tom. No, I mean... That's the Bully. title. <laughs> yeah, the, the the difficulty spikings in this are insane. It's ridiculous. All right, all right. I'll give I'll give Sam a tougher one. For my theme song, my leather black jeans on. Oh no idea. I don't. I don't know. I think that's uh, Kanye West. Don't it know the name of the Kanye song. Kanye West, no. black skinhead. It was notably the theme song, I think, for um, UK racing two years ago. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm almost positive it was. A weird collaboration. Right. Eddie, Ed- get your motor running, get out on the highway. Life is a highway? Nope. Sam? Let's just keep the podcast moving past. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to try and sing it? See if you get it better. <laughs> oh, is that like the clue? Getting maybe give us. A, like, can you give me another line? Or you don't have. Looking that? for adventure is the next line. Oh, oh, born oh. to be wild. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right, Sam. Hey, kids, shake it loose together. The spotlight's hitting something that's been known to change the weather. I think it's wrong, but I immediately want to say outcast. It's not outcast. No, don't know. Ooh, it's a tough one. It's Elton John, Benny and the Jets. Hmm. Almost outcast. I'm not going to attempt to sing that one. Okay. Oh, that one's too easy. Um, Wasn't right. too easy for Sam when he got Major <laughs> yeah. Tom. All right, all right, Eddie, you want one then? No, I don't this want a song one, for the brokenhearted. Uh, bon Jovi. Oh, okay. It's my life. Right, I'll give I'll, I'll give Eddie a harder one. Load up on guns. Bring your friends. Said his weekend plans. Really? <laughs> no idea. Sam, any guess? Nope. Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit. Oh, that's impossible. I didn't. Whoa. <laughs> You gotta really like... understand him first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam, got to go for you here. Guess it's true. I'm not good at a one night stand. I've got it. <laughs> oh, that's so frustrating because I, I can't even think. I, I, no, I can't do it. No, can't even guess. It's uh, Sam Smith. Stay with me. It is Sam Smith. Oh, Stay with wow. me. Nah, wouldn't guess so. Ready? It's nine o'clock on a Saturday. The regular uh, crowd. Yeah. Wow. Really pulling away here. 
it's tough to think which ones are going to be easy. Okay, Sam, I got one for you. One, two, three. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so. This I know, faux show. No idea, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Eddie, any guess? It is not Snoop Dogg. Can you say it again? One, two, three. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so. This I know, faux show. Is it actually faux show or is it for sure written? It's faux show. Because that's the confusing thing, right? Because it's obviously alluding to like the my baby just cares for me thing, but I don't know what that is. Sam, it is outcast. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Why'd you do this to me? <laughs> it is hey ya, outcast. All right. I got one more. Sam, you're up. You're insecure. Don't know what for. Oh, it's one direction. <laughs> yes, Sam. Wow. Just... <laughs> You're too old for that, Sam. <laughs> oh, I knew you would know that. <laughs> That's amazing. Your, who was your favorite One Direction member, Sam? Oh, Harry Styles. Yeah, How many of them can you name? Louis Tomlinson. Okay, you've gone. You've already gone deeper than I could go. Harry Styles. Z- uh, Zane. Zane. Oh whatever. yeah, Zane. Yeah, I would have got Harry Styles um, and Zane. But uh, there's the other guy, Liam something. I think his name is. And then all right, Eddie, one more for you. He was a boy, she was a girl. Skater boy. Oh, ah. <laughs> Jake's favorite genre of music: the kind of old, early noughties style. Stop I'm, saying noughties. Yeah, I am allowed. To, no, people are allowed gotta, to say things. Yes, no. they are. We got to put. We got. We got to have like a expression word band list, and naughties has to go on it for the podcast. Like we'll have to make you like pay some kind of fine every time you say it. So zeros, you have to pay a naughty fine. Yeah. Just <laughs> uh, say early two thousands. Yeah. Why? It's just longer. say the two thousand, the two thousands. No, I'm trying to be snappy. Well, he here. said the early noughties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a legitimate time frame. Not it's a legitimate time. time frame. Overall, though, not too bad. Although Eddie, I, at least I know Eddie always does pretty well on the music portion of pub quiz. I don't. Yeah, I haven't played I, enough with Sam to know, but how good Sam's music knowledge is. Sam's pretty, I mean, when Sam and I used to live together, we used to play a game regularly, which we called the last FM quiz, like the game. And we Genius. would, there was like the last FM app that we would have. It's like what we played when we were in Ascot, right? Where like you pick a yes, category exactly. and you start playing it and you yeah, have to you'd... guess as soon as you can what the song is, which yeah, I was exactly. notoriously bad at. <laughs> yeah. And it used to drive us. So you'd pick, you'd name your category like 90s or, you know, whatever, like modern Naughties. rock. And then you, you hear kind of 20 seconds of the song and you have to name it quickly. And we used to have sometimes play that for hours, but, and routinely there was one song that would make me slip up and would drive me insane, which was Harry Nilsson. And even though it was an artist I was familiar with and a song I knew every time for whatever, whatever like trigger it would 
flick in my brain when it would come up in that game. I could not get it. We were also at the George Abbott pub quiz. We had a pretty varied music kind of background. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Sam was the one direction style. Yeah, Uh, Sam was if 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 Sam was naughties or later. Yeah. (laughs) Naughty nineties, that's Sam's teen boy bands, naughties or later. (laughs) I think I'd do all right at that. (laughs) I don't think that's the worst one. But yeah, but nineties for me. Now speaking of uh Sam's knowledge. We did. I thought, Sam, you probably have no idea how your March Madness bracket is doing, do you? Absolutely none. No, terribly. I'm guessing it continued to be terrible. Has there it still is, been the upsets? And you're you're defining the name of madness. <laughs> the thing that's interesting, though, now, right? And I'll say this, and then tonight and tomorrow there'll be more upsets. But it is now starting to kind of the top seeds are still finding their way there, and it's just all of the like two to five seeds or lower are the ones that got knocked out, but like then the one seeds are doing well. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what we said when we previewed it a little bit, when Sam made his predictions is we gave the stats that, you know, the vast majority of teams that reached the final four are the number one seeds. And I guess it's to be expected this year that you're not going to see as many two threes and fours, because it's hard to judge teams when they're not, when they played what half the schedule didn't play a lot of cross conference games at all. So, you know, it was hard to, weigh teams up against each other, but it's pretty obvious to pick, you know, Gonzaga as a one seed being undefeated Baylor as a one seed, you know, these teams were clearly dominant teams from the start. So I think it's more to do uh, with the seeding. Yeah. But Sam, yeah, it's, it's not gone tremendously well for you. You've climbed the rankings slightly since we last spoke, just because you obviously, you still have Gonzaga doing well. So you're now up to tied for 10th in our contest. So you were bottom the last time. Um, so you're kind of, you're, you're, you're sort of guaranteed to not finish bottom. However, it looks like it is a straight race between, it's going to come down to, there's several people high up who have Michigan winning it. If Gonzaga wins, it is a straight shootout right now between Frank, whose entry is called the Calamari Crusher, and our listener ollie whose entry is called moses squashes the squid so it looks like they were well-named <laughs> entries um ollie has the highest possible score at the moment so he could have a score of 580 which is the highest score of anyone no Sam, he... uh, hmm? i mean sorry oh, yeah, max yeah. Of, he has currently sorry 580 points on the board he has a max of 1220 Frank, you actually have the possible the, the highest possible maximum of 1330. Question. Yeah. Were you, Frank, at all influenced by my picks? No. <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to save himself here, claim some credit somehow. Because you you mentioned the stat that you know it's so often that the top seeds do really well. Because I had somehow fluked going to the top seeds, did you somehow think, well, Let's go against the squid here and maybe pick more upsets than I would have had I not picked. No, no, Sam, you don't get to try and spin some credit. (laughs) No, I don't. No, I didn't because, in fact, I have Gonzaga. um, Against Baylor. Against Baylor. And then I had Michigan going pretty much all the way. 
to lose, I think, to Texas in the Elite Eight. So I had Michigan going to the Elite Eight. I had Houston going to the Elite Eight. I had Baylor going to the Elite Eight. Arkansas going to the Elite Eight. So I had a lot of them. I mean, it's I worth saying the favorites. Ollie, who also has no... The one thing this will prove is that having college basketball knowledge doesn't really help you in March Madness. A, because with no knowledge, you were able to pick what on paper looked like a good bracket. And Ollie, who looks like he may well win our bracket, who has absolutely no knowledge, is A, going to win our bracket, and B, his entry, actually, when you compare it with some, like, Frank, Frank and I are in a pool that people paid money to enter, and Ollie would be a chance of winning that pool. So... He's in the 97.7 percentile of all yeah. entries. But I don't know if you saw, Eddie, but the, the one that Eddie and I are in, there's a person right now in the 99.8%. He was in the 100 percentile. He was like under, I think, like in the top 800 of everyone that put in, which is crazy to think about. But unfortunately for that one, I picked a different bracket. So that bracket is doing really poorly. Yeah, the killer for the guy, right, who's doing uh, really well. He's done. Yeah. Is that, yeah, he he has UConn winning it, and they're already out, which must be really frustrating for him because he's fundamentally nailed everything but UConn. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't have yeah, went that with must that. Suck. And then there must my be guess quite is. A few people that are duplicated, though. I mean, obviously, it's unlikely, but there must be some brackets where everyone has just gone perfectly identical. No, yeah. that's so difficult to go well, perfectly no, identical. No, to identical to someone else's bracket. Obviously, Will, within the ESPN universe, right, it, it's happened. That's why you have the tiebreaker of the score, because even if you have an identical bracket, the chances that you also pick the, the, the identical winning score would be slim to none, um, which is where Ollie is going to be let down because he has picked that barn burner of a final. <laughs> <laughs> it would be amazing if me and Ollie go to that tiebreaker. <laughs> Maybe it goes into like triple OT though, and he wins. That would be crazy. He might need quadruple OT to get to that score. <laughs> what is it again? 120. <laughs> What's he gotten? <laughs> Wait, didn't we learn that history had precedence for this thing? It still would be a stunning score. 124, 107. So, you know, it would be by far and away the highest score of the competition so far. No team has even, no team's made it to 100 yet. And oh, okay, got, that's, that's an ominous one then. And he's got both teams making it to 100, which I guess is more likely you do need it to be kind of close to drive that score up. The highest score so far is Alabama scored 96 against Maryland. And I think that's the the highest figure so far. They won 96-77, which is about as high as any game has gone just from taking a kind of cursory glance. Oh, no, Gonzaga scored 98 in round one. So, okay. I, to be fair, to win. <laughs> is that Ollie's team as well, right? He has Gonzaga winning the national championship, yeah. I, that's the only reason I'd find it impressive is that you know, even I actually, by fluke, we've both picked them. I actually it's think not a fluke. Frank, they're, the, the, they're, they're like one of the, the one biggest, seed. They were one of the biggest favorites going into any NCAA Ollie, tournament Ollie, in history. You're, never you're, heard of them. 
you're correct. Well, you technically well, have. We have you on record in a podcast where I tipped them as my bet of 2021. So okay. I know you remember hearing them. Right. But Ollie, Ollie at least will have seen the one seed next to their name. And undefeated. He may have done no research beyond that, but he at least will have seen Gonzago one. Um, and he may have even listened to our podcast before making his pick, in which case he may have heard us talk about the strength of Gonzaga. Um, I will say when I tipped them for the 2021 bet of the year, they were nine to two. They are currently just over even money. They're like five to four now to win this national championship. That's crazy. I mean, it's played out so nicely for them. I guess they would, they'll be hoping that a couple of the other one seeds maybe fall, but you know, they're getting to play a six seed in the uh, sweet 16 in the elite eight. Sorry. So they must be pleased. And from other American sports news, I guess, had a big trade in the NFL on Friday. The kind of biggest action of the summer. Niners Nation. Where, yeah, Niners Nation can tune back in. They thought we may, might have forgotten about them, but we haven't. And uh, they made a big trade to move up to the third pick in the draft. So they had a trade with the Miami Dolphins. Now, as they took it, they didn't actually take the Miami Dolphins first round pick. They took a pick that the Miami Dolphins had got through a trade with the Houston Texans. Um, you know, and the Texans were such a good team last year that the NFL thought they would reward them with the third pick in the draft. So Frank was right, you know, all year just saying the Texans were just around the corner. We're just, you know, the recovery was just about to happen. The NFL thought so too. So thought they would give them the third pick to help them out. The Niners traded got the third pick in exchange. They traded their pick in the first round, which was the 12th, a 2022 first round pick, a 2022 third round pick and a 2023 first round pick. So effectively three firsts, a, and a third for this, for this first, which is according to, when they do that draft pick and like value analysis, they've paid slightly over the odds. The Miami Dolphins have got value out of that third pick. Um, but obviously what it does seem to do is lay out the Niners' intention to draft a quarterback, which would is on course to be the first NFL draft in history where the first four picks are quarterbacks. Interesting, because you're gambling quite a lot of your future to get someone in the now. And just theoretically, you know who the first two are going to be, right? So is there a way of actually saying which one they know? No, I don't the think Niners you do know which the first two are. I think you know what the first pick is going to be. After that, I think it's all you, up in the air. Uh, I think now you know. I think at this point, fundamentally, the Niners basically have what in essence is the first pick in the draft. If you see what I mean, like they are the first, they will know the two players that are going to be taken off the board with those first two picks. Like I'd be stunned I mean, you, you if think, Zach you Wilson doesn't go to. You think Zach Wilson is that penciled in for number two? Yeah. Just because everyone's been raving about his pro day on top of it, the jets sent like the most high profile people in their organization to go and watch that pro day. So I think as an NFL team, you're capped at having four attendees at a pro day and they sent their GM, their head coach, their offensive coordinator. And I don't know who the other person was who attended, but 
clearly they sent all of the people to that pro day who would be making the decision. So they would have, they would have needed to see something at that pro day that they did not like. And all of the reports coming out of that pro day was that he looked spectacular. So that's Wilson to the Jets. You've got Lawrence to the Jags. So who is the third? Do you think that the Niners are hitting up? That's tough. I see. I don't think it's worth it. Like, so reports are in reports are indicating that Trey Lance is the likely person for them to take or Mac but Jones. Right. Then, well, then there's some other reports coming out that they might take Mac Jones with that pick. It would confuse me if they took Mac Jones because no one else was going to take Mac Jones third. So if you really thought that Mac Jones was your guy, you could have traded to a different. Now, I guess the argument could be made trade to the spot. So you, if you really think he's your guy, trade there to get him and know that you get him and don't don't end up getting the fifth pick and then someone else takes Mac Jones with the third pick and then you spend the next 20 years telling a story about how you wanted to take Mac Jones but he went sooner than you thought he would so maybe but I think the Mac Jones story is trying to throw people off a little bit because there's a lot of Mac Jones buzz and it wouldn't even stun me if the Niners kind of thought like maybe we can convince the Jets to take Mac Jones if we really talk about how amazing Mac Jones is. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the move could make sense. I think if they take Trey Lance, because Lance is someone I think who everyone agrees needs some more development. You know, he's, he's got that classic raw, you know, when they describe him, he's, he's a raw talent and you have what two years left on Jimmy G's contract. So at the very least you can sit him the first year as rookie year, let him learn from Garoppolo a little bit, you know, and Garoppolo's got that good pedigree of coming from the Patriots, studying under Brady. So he obviously knows what to do to be a successful NFL QB. So that would be something that would be really beneficial for him. Um, and then maybe after that year, then you either. I think Garoppolo's gone. Out. I don't know. Whoever That's they're so drafting. Risky. Why would you do that? Whoever they're drafting in this draft, if they take a He's starter week one, not necessarily week one, but I think by week three or four, but likely, if I had to bet yes or no starts week one, I would bet starts week one. But I've already seen, like they said, that for Jimmy G, it's like it doesn't – he's not costing them much right now. Like yeah, even but, if they cut him, it, they, it's – But they've – they've yeah, they gave Jimmy G both uh, the head coach and the GM, gave Jimmy G the he's still our guy endorsement, which is to compare for any of our listener our oh, No confidence. It's yeah, it's the board giving you backing as a manager and you're sacked within 24 hours. Like everyone knows how it goes. Um, and history would tell you that in the NFL. I mean, the Cardinals did that 12 months ago with uh, Josh Rosen, exactly the same thing. Of course, he's our guy. And then he's gone. They also need to say he's their guy because if they want to trade him, they need his value to be as high as possible. So there's no point with shanahan coming out and saying like no way jimmy g is starting week one and then trying to negotiate a good deal to get as much back as possible for him um i just think this is the five-year mark now for lynch and shanahan coming up you don't have an unlimited window even if they've had a good start both of them to their careers with the niners sooner or later people will grow impatient and start to look at the weapons that they had and question why they weren't able to win a super bowl and if you do read Niners Nation, supposedly from within the organization, 
there is a lot of frustration that they feel as if Jimmy G cost them a Super Bowl win. They're like, oh, what this, is his overthrow on third and long? I think it's not just <laughs> his, I think Bowl? it's his like fourth quarter play in general, you know, where he missed a number of key throws that would have either stopped them from giving the Chiefs the ball back when the Chiefs were mounting their comeback, or yeah, that deep throw to Sanders that he should have hit. Um, and I think I could kind of understand that sentiment if you imagine if you were one of those other, one of his teammates or someone working there and you, and then 12 months go by where you've wasted last year because of injuries. And maybe you start to think like, that was our shot. And our quarterback let us down when we really needed him to step up and be the man. No, I, I agree with all that. I think he's done, but I think it's foolish to send him out now and bring in a kid who didn't even play division one football and has only thrown 318 pass attempts in his college career. That's less than half an NFL season. It's probably like six games right now, the way NFL quarterbacks throw. So you're bringing a guy that's that inexperienced and say like, Hey, give it a go in the NFL, man. I think that's, I think that's dumb. And I don't think Lynch would do that. I I think they would progress him and let Jimmy G start this year and say like, whatever happens this year happens this year but we're going to eventually have to move on but, with, with Lance. I think if you're smart, you get rid of Garoppolo and then you have a clear, a guy who takes, even if he starts week one and two, but starts it knowing he's fundamentally the backup. Eddie, who you're describing, I'm sorry, is already taken. So you cannot have him. Who do you think I'm describing Joe Flacco? No, you're describing Fitzmagic. No, I, I to me, I wouldn't even see. That's actually the thing I wouldn't want to do because, again, the fear with Fitzmagic is that he repeats exactly what he did in Miami, which he's a, becomes a little bit too good to drop. So they already have Josh Rosen on the roster. Josh Rosen is a great guy to have in that position because is it be because to, he's a terrible mentor. Here's a guy who's don't need notorious a for like not watching. Yes, you do. I think you need a mentor for someone who's like look at Patrick Mahomes. He sat under Alex Smith, a great mentor who taught him. And he still to this day says like, Alex Smith taught me so much about how to be a He's going to say that. I think that's pretty true. I, I'm, I'm sure that Alex Smith think- had a great impact, but already your ability to mentor in the current, like we're still going to be under COVID protocols, right? When this season kicks off, they're uh, going to have- in Paris we are, in Arizona. They're going to have a, a, full, gonna have a vir- They're going to have virtual preseasons for sure. Like all of that's already decided. Like they're gonna they're gonna have to they're gonna have all these virtual workouts. Your ability to mentor people in that under those circumstances is limited. And look, I'm sure they'll bring an experienced uh, quarterback in. I mean, I think it's Josh Johnson on their roster at the moment who would be like the experienced quarterback. You just make up that name. No, he's <laughs> what are you talking about Josh Johnson's like a decent. He's had a decent NFL career. He's played for a number of teams. He's played for a ton of teams, really. But he, yeah, I, but like, anyway, I think they'll probably bring in someone experienced. If you make that move, if you get rid of Garoppolo, then I'm sure they'll bring someone in with experience. But like, Garoppolo will just be the dead man walking. What happens if he starts off really well? This is a Niners team that has a ton of weapons. They're building why themselves. Why is that clearly. a bad thing? Because then if you've got your five and O and you have this rookie quarterback who you think can take you to the next level, you can't, and then you drop Garoppolo and then the rookie QB comes in and loses week one. Then suddenly the pressure flips back of like, we got to bring Garoppolo back in. 
But if Garoppolo is five and zero, why why do you have to bring in this rookie QB who literally has thrown a half a season's worth of things? Why can't he ride the bench? Oh, for for starters, you're assuming which quarterback they've taken there. So if they they it's different for you if they take Fields, you feel differently. You give Fields their job week one. I think Fields has a lot more experience with a NFL ready offense playing at Ohio State than playing in a Division two for half a season. But you know, like I just think. Like even the speed aspect of it, like you're, you're talking about a kid who's coming from division two versus, you know, Mac Jones, who's playing week in and week out against a majority of players that are going to be on the NFL field. How many NFL players has, has Trey Lance played against? Like, I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to have him sit for a full year. I mean, there's a lot of good quarterbacks that have done that. And there's a lot of good quarterbacks that haven't your favorite quarterback in the NFL didn't this year. Herbert and he Who's said that? a Herbert and he said a yeah, he said a Q, an, an NFL rookie QB record. <laughs> but he <laughs> was stunk. great. He was great. He wasn't on a team that was built to win like the Niners is currently built to win. So that, yeah, that's no, the, I I understand, but I'm saying I don't think it's the worst thing to have someone sit for a year. So what if they win the Super Bowl this year? Then what do you do with him? Then you have a great option where you could either keep Garoppolo, you can, trade you Garoppolo. Cannot, you cannot cut. You cannot if Jimmy if Garoppolo if the Niners won the Super Bowl and say Garoppolo is Super Bowl MVP, you cannot okay. then turn around to him and say thanks for that, goodbye, good luck. Well, then you know what you can do. You can do exactly what the Patriots did with Garoppolo and trade Lance away and get a ton of shit for him and then have him watch and do nothing but, in his career. But the whole <laughs> like that's, point that's is that's not a bad that, thing. No, because you're assuming like the point is. Like they feel like they know what they have with Garoppolo and the telling comments when you look back on them were Shanahan after they lost to the bills, when uh, Josh Allen just ripped them apart and Shanahan said like your goal as an NFL team is to draft a guy who is better than 99% of other quarterbacks in this world. And that's what you need to win. And he's obviously come to the conclusion Garoppolo is good NFL quality quarterback he is not better than 99% of quarterbacks. So fundamentally, it's like time, shit or get off the pot time. They've decided it's get off the pot. And you can't, you can't do that. You can't leave one cheek on and take one cheek off and just shit all over the floor because that's what you're advocating. Like they have to decide. Yeah, but you, I mean, I think that's risky though because what if he's the next like uh, Manziel? What if you draft then, this guy who has huge expectations and then you've just ruined your team where you could have at least had Garoppolo who maybe gets you to the playoffs, but instead you've gotten rid of him. Then you know after one QB, year you waste, have the next man's waste two. You're not gonna do, you're not gonna get rid of him in one year. You're gonna at least at waste two, three years. To me, worst case scenario is you're the Cardinals with Josh Rosen. That's worst case scenario. You can move on after a year. You can draft a dud and move on. But you don't want to draft a guy who you treat as a project and then two, three years into that project, you realize he's a dud. So I would rather throw him in at the deep end. He sinks or swims. And history would tell you, like, that's the old school thinking in a way with quarterbacks of they need time to learn the system, to learn all that. They need to study underneath. They need like a quarterback apprenticeship that they need to have. The reality is, 90% of quarterbacks drafted in the first round who get thrown in the deep end nowadays, sit, they swim. They do well. Most of these teams that have young quarterbacks. I would like to see stats on that. Mahomes sat. Josh Allen sat. Those are your two best new QBs that have sat that didn't start right away. 
take last year's draft. All those QBs started. You can't say away. last year because like that's. But I'm saying, who who are the best QBs right now in the NFL? Rodgers. I, I I'm not going to say the old guys because you're saying it's it's the new guard, and I understand that. So like Rodgers, Breeze, Brady, they all sat. So like, but the newest bunch. I mean, Josh I don't know Allen. about Wilson. Russell Wilson won a like Russell Wilson's an interesting one because he was drafted as at the same year that Seahawks actually spent quite a lot of money on a quarter on a free agent quarterback. That guy from the Packers, who remember like broke Flynn. the record in yeah, Flynn in week 17 when they brought him in. They had a QB contest. Russell Wilson won and they ditched the expensive free agent yeah. signing straight away. Like to me, you'll know if he's good enough. Like they'll know. Week three, they'll know. Like, they'll know if he has the potential. They'll know if, like, this guy is not an NFL quarterback or we think he's That's an so NFL quarterback. Risky. We now need to see how – of course it's risky, but it's all risky. Like, every, of course it's – but it's you're a drafting different. a quarterback. Yeah, but you're drafting a very young – what is he, 21 years old at the most? He might even be, like, 20. He's, like, a redshirt sophomore. You know, you have a young, inexperienced division two. He's basically one year removed from playing high school football, and you're going to put him into the NFL. And if in three weeks he doesn't do good, then you say goodbye to him. No, no, that's, not the opposite. You give him that's you give him. You just you know, said if, we'll know in three weeks. No, what I mean by that is internally they'll know they'll 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 be able to do an assessment there. If the guy is terrible, three weeks in they'll know he's terrible, or three weeks in they'll say this guy has the potential to be an NFL quarterback, and then they might even say this guy has the potential to be one of the best NFL quarterbacks in the league. They'll know that after three weeks. They're not going to be taken sure by... Said, sub- I what? appreciate I haven't said too much here. <laughs> but I guess my curiosity there would be they just have to make a value judgment, right? They have to go, right, can Jimmy G win us the Super Bowl? If their conclusion based on science, data, whatever about him is no, then surely the risk makes more sense with someone that they think can. Like if they like this 20-year-old, this 21-year-old can based on the risk of all of the metrics, everything we've looked at, this makes sense for the team we have, then wouldn't it make sense to just do that earlier? I guess that yes. would be my logic. You're like, right, Sam. You know you're not going to win wrong. No, I, like, I get what Frank's saying as well, but you saw last season a lot of people dropping QBs at the drop of a hat. It seemed quite surprising for me, like the amount that were being like, like Tua started, then he didn't. And you saw the situation at like Washington with QBs. It just seemed to be a bit more of a merry-go-round than I've ever seen. And I've only been in it for like a decade, to be honest. But I think there might be more of a short-term span with these people. And if ultimately they're like, Jimmy G won't win us the Super Bowl, if that is the calculation at the end of the day, then they don't need Jimmy G. He's not going to do anything for them that's progressive. Whereas if they've then looked at this, pick whoever it might be whoever they have now decided is their third pick or their first pick i guess then if they believe he can win them the super bowl draft him put him straight in i i kind of i kind of agree i don't know i just think it's it's risky with that type of player who is so young and so raw the the reverse right is you have a short window they have a super bowl caliber team and those windows close like they are two, three years away from totally rebuilding all those areas. Like you don't have George Kittle forever. You don't have some of these young receivers on rookie quarter on rookie contracts that they have at the moment forever. You don't have a running back core where you can chop and change and use whoever you think works best forever. And 
you risk having a rookie quarterback sit through that window and then get brought in. It's like, oh, you remember when when we wasted two years with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing to George Kittle? George Kittle's left now, and now you're going to throw to this terrible tight end we've brought in. And then the guy might have potential and it's been wasted. I, I think you have to agree, like the goal is to win a Super Bowl. And if they, and like Sam said, like if they've made the assessment that realistically Garoppolo is not going to get them there, why waste time with him? I mean, I think the reason why you waste time with him is he could be put in too early and not do well to start, get injured, get down mentally, and then never recover from it. Maybe, but that's, that's the job that touches on a whole other set of areas where the team has to be managing things correctly to help someone with their confidence and their mental preparation and to make sure that there there's no other risks associated with playing. Obviously don't throw them out, throw them out there if you think he's not ready, but if they make the assessment in week one, he's ready, then play him. There's no reason not to. If you've made the assessment that he's ready, it's not like Kyle Shanahan's never worked but I think with NFL if they... quarterbacks before he'll know if he's ready. You're right, but I think if they dump Jimmy G, it's going to be before week one. Oh, yeah, for sure. But they might bring in another backup who can, like I said, you might bring in another guy who you say, look, you're going to start for two or three weeks. And you do that knowing that that person, A, they know what their job is, which is to start for two or three weeks and then maybe mentor. And B, you avoid any QB controversy. You don't have the risk of Jimmy G took us to a Super Bowl. And now he's won the first three weeks and we're going to drop him. You know, people will start making those arguments. I just never thought I'd see the day where you were defending Jimmy G. A huge for, Jimmy G fan. For, for, for the last three years, I've listened to you predict how Jimmy G would be out of the league within three years. And now you're suddenly defending him, keeping his place because he might help the Niners win. Well, I, I mean, you're also giving up on a guy who, before two pretty bad injuries was going to be the next great QB. He was supposedly so good that Tom Brady forced him out of the Patriots organization. And now you're just giving up on that guy who Tom Brady thought could have been better than him. I don't think Tom Brady thought he could be better than him. I think Tom Brady thought he could take his job. I don't think that's the same thing. He knew how much Belichick liked Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's the other story here, which is, the Patriots might be a landing destination for Jimmy Garoppolo if they do trade him because whilst they gave whatever it is, 16 million to Cam Newton, which is pretty big, especially by Patriot standards, it's not so big that you couldn't have him as a backup on 16 million because there are backup quarterbacks earning that amount of money. So that could be where he ends up. The other part of this story, right, is that you also not like this is picking on you, but you also spent last year saying how Tua shouldn't have the job and isn't ready. This is clearly a vote of confidence from the Dolphins in Tua, because there was the possibility that they were going to draft another quarterback with the high pick. This seemingly is saying it's Tua's job for at least this year. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't disagree with that. My my stance on Tua wasn't that he shouldn't eventually be a starter. I just didn't like taking out Fitzpatrick when you have a chance to do well in the season versus trying to get a guy reps who's going to get killed and possibly injured like Burrow did. You know, that to me was kind of a risky move, but yeah, no, I, I, (laughs) what? You said killed or possibly injured. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think Burrow did both. (laughs) And the other story that's part of this is just the hall of picks that, 
the Dolphins have ended up getting in exchange fundamentally for the Laramie Tunsil uh, trade that they had with the Texans. So now the total package, if you factor in this trade and then also the trade they then made subsequently with the Eagles to move back from 12 to 6, they've ended up for in exchange for Tunsil getting a 2020 first round pick, which ended up being the number 26 overall. The 2021, a 2021 first round pick, which is the number 12 overall, which they then flipped for the number six overall. A 2021 second round pick, which is the number 36 overall. A 2022 first round pick, a 2022 third round pick, and a 2023 first round pick for, you know, Laramie Tunsil is a good player player he's i think had two pro bowls since leaving the dolphins so it's not like he's been disappointing for the uh for the texans but still to have got that much in return for a position that you wouldn't normally associate with that kind of draft hole like i mean in the end they've got for tunsil what you would expect someone to get for a quarterback like they would get less the Texans would get less trading to Sean Watson than the Dolphins have got for Laramie Tunsil. And yeah. that's with or without the, the yeah, Sean Watson say, controversy. Is that the case now? What that's that, definitely the case what does, now. What does that mean for the Dolphins though? Like, what are they saying with all those picks? The, is that a depth thing? Do they think that they've got like a good core they can just add with those positions? Because they're still low enough to not be like named picks, right? You can't be like, right, yeah. who's there, whoever's number one. Well, so they're they're going for depth there. Like, is that is that what they need to... Because if we say that the Patriots and the Jets are below them and it's the Bills and Dolphins, like, is that long-term planning good for them to take on the Bills? Or Yeah, I think it's... it's we've talked about this before. I think now to win in the NFL, you need to have a young team just because of salary issues. So right now they're pretty ideally suited where they have a young team and then they can draft a bunch of first round talent over the next, what, two, three years to finalize that team. And probably not maybe this year, but starting next year, they could have a solid contending team for the next three to four years that could fit under the cap. No problem. I mean, cause this year you figure they're probably going to get a good wide receiver option. That's kind of what they've always been shooting for, which six is like the perfect position because, you know, you don't have no one's going to take it before six. So you have you can pretty much get your choice receiver this year and then next year, maybe get like a really good lineman to to you know block. You don't have to pay Nate Solder like crazy, stupid prices who, for one who sucks that's out there now. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think they could be set up well if they draft well and then kind of just fill in the loose ends in their depth chart. If well, yeah. and that's that, and the big if there obviously though is if Tua progresses. Yeah. Also, had to keep in mind that Flores is from, you know, the Bill Belichick umbrella. Belichick's a big proponent of trading down for more picks. He hasn't drafted particularly well over the last decade, really, but I do think it's part of the mindset that there's an element of randomness to the NFL draft. There's so many unknowns that you are better off just kind of buying more lottery tickets. So if you, you know, okay, Trevor Lawrence looks like he's a guaranteed real deal. But after that, all those other quarterbacks, for example, become a little bit of an unknown. And it might turn out, for example, that the Niners have traded up to get this third pick in the draft. 
And then it turns out that the best quarterback in the draft is taken with the 12th pick. It's not inconceivable. And so if you're recognizing the randomness of the draft, it's sensible to just have as many picks as you can and that hope that one of them works out. And as long as one of them works out, then the, the move made sense. This could still be one of those things where five, six years from now, all these picks that looked great on paper, people look back and say, well, in the end, you drafted no one who's like stuck on your NFL roster. So it was all pointless. Like that is possible too. But if they get one superstar out of that move, it's made sense. Yeah. Cause I mean, optimally you want to get someone, you know, like Justin Jefferson, who was a top five receiver last year, but is getting paid a 10th of the price of everyone else around him, you know, cause that way you can fill in your roster with the other money that you save. So then that's the risk, right? Because there were what four other receivers drafted in that first round that didn't have the output that Jefferson did. So it, it is a crapshoot. Especially for certain positions, you might feel a little bit more comfortable with quarterbacks, but yeah, when you're drafting wide receivers or linemen or running backs, it might be the third guy off the board who ends up being the best and yep. you're better off just having more lottery tickets. I mean, even with the O tackles last year is a great example. You had the Giants, the Bucks, and the Jets who all, all took the top three and Becton um, works and the, I can't even remember the Giants guy now, Thomas. And the one who was picked third ended up being the best one, the Bucks guy. He was like a staple for their offense. So yeah, it's definitely a crapshoot. Now, Frank, we can pick on you a little bit more because we can talk about now the fact that the U.S. men's soccer team or football team has uh, failed to qualify for the Olympics for a third straight time, which is also coming on the back of them failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So... This much vaunted golden generation, which I feel as a non-American, every generation is the gold. And I know people will say the thing, same thing about English people. But when we had Zealand on, right, for example, we were, he was there saying how great this future, the future generation of Americans were, never seen anything like it. More players playing in Europe than ever before. More players actually playing significant parts for big European sides than ever before. But the actual national team itself maybe worse than it's been basically in our lifetimes. Oh, really? Anyway, well, let's park that one. But Frank, curious, what do you, what's your perception of the Olympics for the US soccer team's progression? Because to from, be, from coming from the UK, it's probably very different. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it matters much. Like when I think of, you know, if I think of US soccer or football, whatever you want to call it, We'll say soccer for the U.S. team, just for them. Um, I think of World Cups. I, I don't think of Olympic teams because I still don't even really understand the whole qualifying process because it has to be like, what, under 23 teams? Or they had to play like an under 23 B team or something. So it was like the, it, Olymp it's the Olympics is under 23 teams, but you're allowed, I think it's four, but it might be three players over the age of under 23. But they are fundamentally yeah. under 23 teams. Yeah. But this one was, they added a year for this one because of the pandemic basically ruled out last yeah. year. So this is under 24 plus, I think it's three. And a lot of the US kind of golden generation like Pulisic and all that said that they would play 
if they did qualify for the Olympics. But they didn't did you... help in the qualifying stage. <laughs> right, but they lost to Honduras. Right. I mean, I this is the thing is this yeah, is yeah, no, 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 this, no. that's I know I know you're not saying but like oftentimes people will say well we didn't have our superstars is that well Honduras don't have any superstars like there's you it's not as if uh the US fa- you know lost to Germany and so missed out and they were missing all yeah. the big the big names they lost to Honduras like there should mm-hmm. be no reason the the USA under 18 team should have a chance of beating the the under 23 team of Honduras, realistically. See, the only thing that bothered me for that is I I agree with what you're saying. And I agree with the superstars who are locked up with their teams in Europe can't come over. Some of the ones that did piss me off is there were, I think, two pretty notable players that play in the MLS and the MLS teams wouldn't allow them to go play this game. I just don't understand that for the life of me. When you're a country that's being ridiculed for having bad soccer, you have a chance to put your country on that center stage and you refuse to let your player go play for that team that maybe they miss one match of an MLS season. That to me is stupid. Do you think Uh, there was like an arrogance to it? Like we don't don't need to let them go because chances are they'll beat Honduras. No, I think it's, I think it's just greedy. I'll defend the MLS there a little bit, which is they've been playing, you know, they've gone through multiple lockdowns and confinements and playing in bubbles. And maybe if you're an MLS team, you would have thought, are we going to send this person away to play in an under 23 international match? Someone in that camp tests positive, And then suddenly what should be five days away from the team turns into two weeks, potentially even something more serious even just him a regular suffering from a regular injury when you have had to go through such an unusual season, which as you said, it's just to qualify for the Olympics. And I'll also agree with you. I don't care about Olympic soccer (laughs) at all. Don't even watch it when the Olympics is on. So pointless. I don't, I'm not going to try and dig into the U S team too much because I don't think this, this doesn't matter from the perspective, the perspective of them missing out on the Olympics. It just matters because where it, puts the where it makes the performance look like and where the team is at and how could they pause again this is but off the heels of the 2018 exactly not qualifying in the world Cup. it's pressure they're just building pressure like it wasn't much pressure but they're building more pressure now because they do have a really good set of players at the moment you know like i'm not talking about this golden generation stuff like just looking actually who plays in your good let's not go really good okay fine okay they have like they have Pulisic, they have Rayner at uh, Dortmund. Um, Tyler Adams at Leipzig is a good one. Uh, Dest at Barcelona. You know, these are players not only are playing at Champions League, big clubs and pretty regular starters, but more importantly, they're all under like 25. Now, this is right. what's interesting about the US for me is that if they don't hit Qatar next year uh, in 2022, that will be ridiculous well, Sam, because Sam, we're not talking about political bombings here <laughs> <laughs> yeah you heard it here u.s first. doesn't but, strike qatar <laughs> but the thing is they've got to be thinking about 2026 right like a lot of these players that they've got even like weston mckinney at juventus who's a young player uh chris edwards who's on loan from bayern at hoffenheim they've got good young players that can core that can be the core of a host country's well one of three host countries, but the majority of matches 
that can potentially have a good World Cup. I'm not saying great. I'm not saying they can win it. I'm not even saying semifinals, but they could have a really good World Cup that it these generations do something. Yeah, they could be last day. Best case, if they, best if case scenario. Really well. Best case scenario that the 2002 version of the US team. Best case scenario. Oh. But that's the other that's thing. The thing. I, that's the other issue with the US is the US always has that win it all or nothing mentality where like what Sam's saying, they could be a good team, but that no American will accept, Hey, you know, like we made it to the quarterfinals. That was pretty impressive. It's like, no, we should be in the finals. We need to be It's like, look at who you're competing against. There's no way you match up against, like you should be happy to make it out of the group stage. You right, know? And, but, and yeah. like they can't conceptualize that. Yeah. And we've spoken about that before, right? I think the big challenge there is Americans accepting that they're not number one in anything, which is very difficult for Americans to do because you dominate the Olympics. Most of the sports you play are either, I mean, for the most part, are almost exclusively played in North America, but still obviously the dominance team in all of those. So it is very challenging to play in a sport where clearly you're not going to be the best nation. Um, I do think I, you make a valid point there, Sam, and they have a number of good young players, one or two of whom might turn into sort of real legitimate, maybe even world-class players. But I also think that's the benefit of being a smaller nation. It's kind of like the smaller nation syndrome where you pick and choose, like you can identify, look, there's like seven Americans playing in big European leagues. And then if you think, well, if they were German, you, you wouldn't think, wouldn't be like, well, oh, well, there's a German on loan from Bayern at Hoffenheim. Like, well, this guy's yeah. a big deal. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. but because yeah, they're yeah, American, yeah. they stand out. Um, you know, like how many of those players, like would Pulisic make the England team? I don't think he would. Right now, probably not. None so, of these players would. Just a caveat here. Like, because also where they have good players is exactly where England have a generation. Yeah. I specifically chose with him because you are, he is up against a number of very young, high profile attacking midfielders. So yeah. you're really saying, where does he stand in that? Like, if you go to the Premier League and you talk about, you know, young attacking midfielders, I mean, like, make, Mason Mount at Chelsea is better than he is so he's not even the best in his own team and then you start to looking on the larger scale when the likes of phil foden or you know jude bellingham if you're looking from an england perspective i think that's part of the thing that frustrates me when i do listen to americans talk is that they don't think about that aspect and then put it into perspective awesome yeah no eddie your point though is it's it does crack me up and i think about that all the time like when people are like no we've got like three great players right now playing over in like the premier league and the German and Italian leagues. And it's like, yeah. And Germany has hundreds of players <laughs> playing in those leagues. Yeah. <laughs> Germany has so many that not most, quite a few of them weren't even born in Germany, uh, born in Germany kind of thing. It just has such a stock, but that's something that's important for me as well about the Americans is because you've got a country of like half a billion where you have some of the most advanced like sports science data analysis, like the, the way they assess like basketball players, NFL players with these, like you say, through the draft, through sessions, through these pro days and things like that. It needs the USA could easily be such a dominant country at football. If it kind of had the momentum to apply some of those things, I'll, I'll because disagree then, with you there. I, I just, I'm just talking from a 
from a purely like institution, not institution okay. background. In terms in of terms facilities, of like, in terms of population size, yes. But they're missing a key element for me. The, the league? <laughs> no, the league doesn't even matter. You can get away with not having the league. Look at France, for example. I mean, where, where does Liga rank in the, you know, you could kind of run through a number of European nations who consistently have competitive teams without Belgium. having elite. Belgium's it's a, a great example. a little bit different, though, because of how close they all are. Like the US truly okay, would take be any like of the an South America league. Take any of the South American teams. We can talk, well, like just, people can say that Brazil's yeah. good quality, but I mean, really, it's semi-professional football on the most part by European standards. They just get standards. bought up when they're like 12 by sure. their dads but that's, as agents. That's the, that's the point is you don't need the league, but what you do need is you need a significant portion of your population to understand the sport. And I mean, really understand it. Because a lot of times when you talk to Americans, they do understand the game, but the intricacies and the like footballing IQ that you need to be ingrained in you from a young age to really be special or to like have a coach who can really impact your development. They don't have that. Mm -hmm. Like it's so often I'll talk to people like Americans who love the sport. And then when you really get talking to them about, and not like, not that I'm some like Oracle of football, right. But just like having been in like a culture where it is the sport it's like when you talk to British people about basketball, even if they watch the NBA every day, they don't get like kind of how the sport really flows, what really the smart plays are. Like that's the part of it that the USA is a long way off developing. Yeah. It's yeah, a shame it's- really. Cause when they hosted in 1994, they had average crowds of 64,000, you know, like, there was a real buzz around it. And uh, I was also reading cause Interestingly enough, a lot of stuff's coming out about the US at the moment, um, soccer wise. And it was, they made agreements with FIFA to really develop the MLS to be like, send us experts, send us people that can really build a professional setup around the league. And what, 20, 20 odd years on, or whatever it is. Um, we sent them still Beckham. not really, you're still not really seeing Thank that you. MLS driven. You're still feeling the need for everyone to like move abroad as well, which again, that's not that's another that's another reality they have to accept because that's the other thing you hear people talk about. Like one day we want the MLS to be the place players go. We want it to rival. That's never going to happen because it'll be the flashy place to go. It'll be the one with a lot of money. But you have to have a lot. We're talking of right. Like look at China. China was throwing hundreds of thousands of pounds a week at mediocre players. It still wasn't getting tons of players. Yeah, and but okay, I'd, I'd rather live in America. <laughs> right, but look at all the steps. You, you don't have want to a meatball burger? Where would you rather play? Honestly, right now, the LA Galaxy, you're a 22-year-old world-class player. You'd rather play Manchester United for half the salary or the LA Galaxy. You're choosing Manchester United every time, and you're not thinking twice about it. It depends how much I love money over football. It's not like Manchester United are going to be paying you minimum wage. <laughs> like it's like you're going to be rich either way let's be real here and then you might what even if i start... got a right bastard of an agent though <laughs> well that's different maybe holland will end up in but like the the mls will never be the league in the world barring yeah. some geopolitical yeah, abs- major shift absolutely. and europe's like bombed to a to... and and i don't wow, think that's <laughs> world war three is what's gonna stop that's the, that's the only hope for the mls <laughs> And, yeah, and, and I agree. I don't think that's I don't think the MLS is the issue. I think it's the development because whenever I hear about you guys talk about the development at the early age, 
the argument that you'll hear in the States, like, oh, we have that. We have really good traveling teams and we have these clubs. And it's like, yeah, you have maybe one for like a huge amount of the population. Whereas like in, in England and Germany and France, all these places, it's like commonplace. Like there are hundreds and hundreds of these academies and camps and, and everyone who's like from an early age knows what they're talking about and knows what they're doing. Whereas like here, there's only a small amount of those people that make it into those, you know, traveling teams or like good clubs, like junior clubs and stuff. It, it, the, the development stage is so far behind England and other yeah. countries. You know, like even when I think about how like all the English teams have their own, you know, like development club, you know, like all these kids academies. go there and yeah. like the academies, yeah. like th there's nothing like that here in the States. And, and that's the other aspect too, right? Which is there's a financial requirement in a way to be on those traveling teams in the US. Like yeah. you need, fundamentally, you need to be relatively wealthy, if not yeah. very wealthy, to be able to afford for your kid to travel around the state and then potentially yeah. the country. Train, train at the academy of, yeah. you know, like whatever the, the equivalent academy is here. Like not saying that there aren't those types of things here, but they're, a lot few and far between compared to other countries. And there's, you're right, there's a huge cost requirement to that. Just going Not into accessible. that as well, like this, I don't think, I personally think it's pretty bad, like how the MLS can be a thing as well. Like, like David Beckham can have a ton of money and essentially artificially create a club from scratch. And I don't think there's a lot of like global fans that would adhere to that idea too See, much. that's a little like, bit that's harsh i think because if you went back in time to 1870 in england that's what would be going on too they're yeah, just 100 140 150 years yeah they're 150 years behind in terms of yeah. creating a professional league <laughs> no but, but 99.9 99. 99. no 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 it's it's, it's not incorrect so, so what do you want them to like do the MLS... you're, you're a bit you're a bit like when someone tells china like why do you need coal you know, and it's like, well, you no, used I'm coal just, when you were industrializing, look, and it's like, whatever. But we don't use it now. <laughs> look, I'm not bringing Eddie, it up. Eddie, Eddie, are you years saying? Ago. Are you saying the U.S. is what England was in the noughties? In the in the in the eighteen in the nineteen noughties. Nineteen noughties. Not to be not to be confused with the nineteen nineties, <laughs> but yes. Um, no, like, like the thing you, is, just looking at it right now, like fans in a globalized world that can see everything they can basically watch anything as well i just don't like the idea it just it just a lot of people are fans of clubs because of like parents but, you know but dads, there's nothing dads, dads sam you're creating a league what are you supposed to do you can't you unless you drugged everyone and told them hey your dad supported la galaxy when he was 12 like there's nothing there's nothing you can do like you you're creating a league you're creating new teams the same thing I'm sure I you know I support Blackburn Rovers. I'm sure in 1875, someone's like, what's this? What's this club? This come out of nowhere backed by some rich mill owner who, what, what are we doing here? Like it would have been exactly the same idea. No, I just definitely worked in transportation. <laughs> I'm just saying that Shipping. the experience now isn't relatable in Europe today. Like that's all I'm saying. Like, Oh no, look at Leipzig, shouldn't... look at the, look at the, Look! Look at how they get looked at in the Bundesliga at the moment because of the money that's going it's into it. It's kind of unique. Bundesliga, though. Well, but yeah, but it's still a point about we accept club Chelsea, creation, we accept right? Manchester City, right? We accept PSG. Well, actually, we do. A lot of people them. didn't accept Chelsea. Didn't uh, Chelsea was kind of like a 
Chelsea okay, was kind Manchester, of like the marker, and yeah. they had a lot of backlash about it. Okay, but Manchester the Glazers City. had a lot of backlash. About the Glazers their got owners. that was just by annoying Manchester United supporters. Few things have been more annoying in the last twenty years of football than Manchester United supporters turning up to watch matches in yellow and green, scars. green and red. Yeah. There's still a lot of people that, okay, after a while they forget about it and they're just like, you know what, the club's succeeding. All of a sudden, I've forgotten it. Liverpool are the same ones with this Boston back group. I know there was a lot of people. Oh, that LeBron James went against that. LeBron James, who's like, now there was a, a part lot of owner, going, who's now a part owner of the Boston Red Sox, to the yeah, oh god, chagrin but of like, many Boston Bostonians. I like a lot of people. Oh, what is it? The Fenway Group, I think it's called, isn't it? Yeah. Like, now no one cares because now they've got the money and they've won the league. Like a lot of Arsenal fans criticize Kroenke because he's not doing, he's not bringing in what Arsenal fans think the club needs. And then there's a lot of German ownership where, what is it, every, almost every club, it has to be 50% fan owned or something like that. No, no, that. every club does. Leipzig yeah. have circumvented those rules by creating like a fake fan. I can't remember the specific details anymore, but like a fake fan group. Um, you're right. Look, everyone's happy to have the foreign sugar daddy as long as it's a successful foreign sugar daddy. Yeah. You know, that's the reality. Everyone will forget that their club has been bought over and is having its history ruined by a Russian oligarch or by a Chinese billionaire or by an American billionaire so long as a few trophies come in in an exchange. But if you have... Again, to bring up Blackburn, if you have Indian billionaires buy you and then several years later you find yourselves two divisions lower than you started, the foreign sugar daddies don't seem quite so good. But And hey, look, you, it doesn't work all the time, does it? Look at British sugar daddies like Mike Ashley. Like It doesn't work. Sure. No, no, no. I wasn't trying to be xenophobic by naming foreigners. <laughs> but but obviously, if someone seems local and their story is, I'm look, I've local boy or, or girl made good, and now I've bought the club that I've always supported, I think there you could tolerate failure because you would think, oh, well, they did it for the right reasons. Whereas if it's a foreigner with no attachment to the club who buys them, you could think the only reason they're doing this is to, as a plaything, and to hopefully have us be successful as a result. That's mm. different. Like if Jack Walker had failed with Blackburn Rovers, uh, I think people would have still admired in a sense, the, the idea of a supporter becoming wealthy and then trying to take a club to the next level. You would have yeah. always imagined good intentions behind it. It's different when it's, you know, an American. If, you know, Jeff Bezos buys Tottenham tomorrow, he'll have to prove that he cares about Tottenham. Whereas by if turning up like once or twice and then never yeah. turning up again. Yeah. By putting Amazon in a, I mean, putting a Harry Kane in a next day delivery box to Real Madrid. <laughs> it sounds very different, doesn't it? The Amazon arena. Like it sounds like you're going to be sort of like, it's, it's kind of works, but yeah, exactly. I, I'm trying to think of like the Leicester example. Wasn't it like the Thai prime minister of the time like well, then you can secure with Leicester you can secure your legacy by just dying in a helicopter crash yeah, yeah if anything that's that, one way if anything the successful. Leicester owner and Kobe Bryant have taught us is that if you're worried about what your legacy will be in the future just make sure to get into a malfunctioning helicopter and you will go down in the history books as the greatest person of all time you will go down twice <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I never knew this. Uh, just the Amazon Arena clicked for me because I'd heard it last week. Did you know that there's like 
there's on the Amazon headquarters campus, there's these spheres. It's part of like the headquarters. It's like these full like, like there's like their workplaces and they call them, their nickname is the Bezos balls. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a legitimate nickname. Like that's what people call them. Like, where do you work? (laughs) I work in Bezos balls. (laughs) He kind of seems like he has a sense of humor when you see him. An awful man. But there's three. But it looks like there's two because it's like two and then one in the middle. But the one in the middle, you can't really tell. So it legitimately looks like Jeff Bezos balls. (laughs) I mean, here's also the other thing. When you're the richest man on earth, I doubt you really care if there's a building that's been nicknamed after your testicles. Yeah. The fact that you have a building is is probably impressive for most people. And to be the most richest person in the world after a divorce where you've given half away is still really impressive. It's right next to the Space Needle. No, I was kidding. Okay. (laughs) No, that would be awesome, (laughs) wouldn't it? (laughs) Now that would be funny. He should buy the Space Needle and then move it there. His balls over there. No, 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 because that's like downtown Seattle. You should move the Space Needle. (laughs) A lot of people are going to be displaced. No, this is in Seattle too. No, I know, but not in doubt. Like the Space Needle is like right downtown no like so to move the balls to next to the space needle <laughs> you would have to buy a tremendous amount of downtowns not that he couldn't do it but you'd have to displace a number of people kind of ruin lives and industries just so that you could laugh at it and go look that looks like my dick and balls the basos bellend i'm actually surprised amazon haven't done something like that like they are a club they are 0.7 miles away from each other so they are balls. relatively close. <laughs> they're just they're just sagging a little bit. Yeah. Happens over time. Sagging downtown. I guess the other maybe to wrap things up to a degree, the only other thing of note that we should really mention is that the Six Nations also well wrapped up on last Friday with France hosting Scotland in the final match, which had been delayed because of France's positive COVID tests. Uh, France went into it needing to beat Scotland by 21 points or more in order to win the Six Nations. They ended up losing in with in uh, on the sort of final final moments of the match with Scotland scoring a try to win it. Um, no, I didn't see this, but did Scotland send their full team? Because there was the concern, right, that the, yeah, the yeah. weren't going to let them yeah, off? They did. Yeah, they did. No, no, no. And a, another red card. So another sending off in the Six Nations became a little bit of a theme, uh, which ended up, it looked at the time as if it would seal France's victory and maybe even give them a chance because they had 10 minutes to try and score. I think they were winning by three at the time. So if they could have scored three tries in those 10 minutes, they would have been able to win the Six Nations. They promptly had a player sin bend. So effectively level playing field for the final 10 minutes and kind of nothing happened up until then the very end when... France could have just kicked the ball into touch to end it. And instead, for some reason, the French player decided that he was going to try and score 18 points in less time in in a single go would have been what would have been required. And uh, instead Scotland, he ended up giving away a penalty and then Scotland scored shortly thereafter. So Mm -hmm. kind of weird end. I guess Scotland can feel I've got Scottish friends who are claiming that they should have won the six nations. Um, I feel like France were the best team. Uh, France played the most rugby. 
I know that sounds stupid, but France definitely played the more adventurous rugby. Yeah. And England finished fifth. It was their worst six nations ever. Uh, it was the first time since That's I think, so crazy. I think 1978, I think that they'd lost to all of the other home nations, I believe something like that. Um, it's the second time they finished fifth under Eddie Jones. So pressure is mounting on him as to whether or not he'll stay in charge until the next world cup, but weird six nations be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Weird six nations defined by red cards, I think. Uh, and then you do get that feeling that, okay, well, Wales didn't win the grand slam because of red cards or Simbin, but you do feel like they won it because of the red cards that went for them. Whereas you feel like a lot of teams suffered because of the red cards in the same match, like the Irish suffered because of it. Um, just a kind of overall review, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's felt like a very strange one. But good news to our listeners. If you're not a rugby fan, that's probably rugby done for several months. <laughs> I guess unlikely that we maybe <laughs> give some coverage to the Heineken Cup or something over the next next few weeks. But in reality, probably won't be until the next Six Nations that we really talk about rugby. Yeah, probably and, for and cricket we'll have, as well. We'll have Jake back on. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll pull him out of his cage. But yeah, we've got uh, probably it for cricket as well. So all you uh, listeners across the pond, unfortunately. You say that, but there's a thrilling test match series currently going on between West Indies and Sri Lanka. Uh, You know, tomorrow morning at eight o'clock my time, it's, I think, New Zealand, Bangladesh in a T20. I mean, cricket's just everywhere. Oh yeah, cricket's good. I just mean England's winter of cricket is now over. So they've done... When you look back at it, a lot of touring. Um, the only reason it wasn't more games is because of the ODI in South Africa that was called off. But I, I don't know. Jury's still out. But I, I think overall, they've the India thing's kind of taken a lot of shine off it. But they are arguably the best team in all formats, save maybe one or two where England might be. But, you know, they, they clean sweep South Africa in T20. Clean sweep Sri Lanka, which isn't saying much at the moment in the tests. And the... Um, and the T20, and then had some good games against India. Well, not in the Test Series, but in the ODI and T20 for sure. So looking very good for those two formats well, of the game the first, at the end of the year. They won the first match. It started off so well. Yeah, I, I think if nothing else, with obviously the World Cup coming up in, South, in India, for limited overs cricket, they've shown that they are competitive in any conditions and also certainly in the subcontinent, which would have been the question mark as to how they could play against spin and how they could play in the kind of do like the dewy conditions that you have in India. Certainly they've got, I think India and England have set themselves as the two best teams going into that world cup. Still anything could happen. There's always teams like New Zealand who are sort of consistently underestimated, but uh, I definitely think England will walk away from that, even though they lost the series, feeling better about themselves than they did going into it. Yeah. Knowing you can chase 330 or almost chase 330, but chase 337 is pretty impressive going. Disappointing ending, though. At least for me. No, I think in that final final ODI, in the position that they were in, they kind of look like it was dead and buried midway through the chase, but then needing the whatever, uh, the final three overs, whatever they needed, 24 runs off the final three overs, something like that. 
from that position, you should win a te- uh, an ODI. And the killer was that they had a 49th over where they got virtually no runs. And you'll always hear people talk about in a T20, the 19th over is the key. And in a one-day international chase, like the 49th over is a key. You do not want to go into that final over needing 14, 16, 18 runs. Because if the first ball doesn't go for a boundary, it starts to become like a very difficult mathematical equation. And that's exactly what happened to England. The one part I will say about that, I also hate Curran turned down singles on the kind of fifth, fourth, third deliveries. I, I can't remember which number they were. I just think you take every run on offer because every cricketer out there should feel when it's yep. a when it's just swing for the fences mode anyway. What's the difference between Sam Curran, England's number seven swing for the fences, and England's number 11? Like if they just let their arms go, who knows? If you make contact, who knows what hap- what happens? But get take the runs. Don't let the pressure build with the dots. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. Like Ali, Rashid, Wood have all know, been known to hit the ball really well. Like don't get me wrong. Look, if it's Ben Stokes there, okay, I can understand Ben Stokes saying you know, stop because I'm going to slog the next one for six or whatever. But these are all players that have the capability of hitting quick runs. Like England's depth in batting is incredible. There shouldn't be a reliance on Curran. I, I, I think it was dumb as well. Yeah, I'll say I agree with you there. If it was Joss Butler or Johnny Bairstow or Ben Stokes or, you know, Morgan, one of those top order players turning it down because they have total confidence that out of four deliveries, they think they can hit two sixes. But if you're a player where it's you're you're rolling the dice and hoping that you hit one six anyway, then you should just take the runs because the, you don't have that much better of a chance than the guy down the other end. And who knows what happens? The a look at just from the World Cup final scenario, you take the runs. A freak incident happens. The ball goes off the bat. You get a boundary off what it should have been a two. Like weird things can happen. But if you just keep taking runs, some kind of pressure builds. Well, yeah. And, and so I guess that was my question too, is like, it, it bothered, like at, at what point doesn't he start to think that you need to start swinging for the boundaries? You, you know, like how many times are you going to let the dots build up before you're like, okay, now I need to start oh, I think he, being reckless. I think he thought that the full final over basically. And certainly once he, well, I'm saying like going into that 49th over, yeah. right. He took a, he took a lot of balls at what point, you know, like he was still that confident that like, Oh, you know, I can just hit two or three, you know, like at what point do you start to think like, maybe I need to be a little reckless here and try and get one boundary and early in this 49th over instead of wanting 14 runs yeah. into the last. Over. The killer yeah. was that they were down to eight. They, they were eight wickets down. Right. So in his mind, what he's also thinking is like, if you lose a wicket in that 49th over, it becomes a very diff. Like you kind of want the you want the wicket, which they ended up losing in the 49th, But you want that wicket just so that someone can swing for the fences and something bad can happen. But, but I do someone agree. needs to swing for the fences. <laughs> I do agree with you. Final ball of that last over should have just been like a freebie mentally and thought. Worst case scenario, this is a dot and I'm out, and someone else gets to come in and it's difficult and we're probably going to lose. But if we don't get a boundary now to cut this down to 10 runs, we're probably going to lose anyway. Yeah. I mean, there was some pretty good pressure bowling from India, but there was a moment in like the 47th or 48th where there was two wides in a row. And it's like, that's, that was the moment where I was like, I think it's tipped in England's favor now. 
but then they they really didn't capitalize on it. But there was some good pressure bowling. Like India did bowl really good lines and kind of held it well in terms of not bowling too many full tosses or giving too many errors. Like after those two wides, they did bowl well. Yeah, after those, I thought the same thing. After those two wides, I thought, oh, this is it. Like one boundary and then it's over. And then it just never happened. Yeah, but... um on the whole, the fact that England have been extremely competitive in India's backyard, um, favourites for the ODI, as in India are, um, I, I think they've put themselves in pretty good stead. I think they've probably come away thinking we are as competitive. So, uh, yeah. I look also worth to saying, to not give it an England slant entirely, India will have come away from that also feeling good about themselves because they'll also know that India, that England are reigning world champions in the 50 over format and over the last 10 years have been consistently competitive in all limited over formats. And they'll have walked away from that thinking they went toe to toe and came out on top and didn't play their absolute best either. And we're missing a couple of key players as well. So I'm sure India will feel as if they saw everything they need, they needed and wanted to see from those two series as well. Would have been curious about whether Morgan would have played. But yeah, you're you're right. I think India would have come out of that uh, second to last one as well and gone, that was a freak chase. Like 337 is an insane chase. So it's not like they posted a bad score. They still posted a very good score and were just chased down. But um, yeah, I think both teams will come out of that. But yeah, looking forward to the 2020 World Cup, actually. I think it's going to be really exciting. Well, something to look forward to. Is there anything else uh, wanted to bring up this episode? Had a quick one, a small one. Sylvester Stallone posted up a like back in the day photo on his Instagram the other day of him training for Rocky three. And he said he was at 2.8% body fat. It was the lowest weight and body fat I ever was. That was tough. And then he doesn't say it there, but there was subsequent interviews about this where all he would do is basically eat this is where it gets strange all day all he would do is eat oatmeal oh here it is oatmeal cookies made with brown rice so i don't know what defines them then as oatmeal cookies if they're made with then brown rice rice cookies for sure. yeah. 25 cups of coffee a day with honey and a couple of scoops of tuna fish so wow, his, he, his heart must have been yeah two, I mean, two nothing staying are, in his body one 25 cups of coffee is outrageous but the way it's said is 25 cups of coffee with honey and a couple of scoops of tuna fish almost makes me wonder if he's scooping the tuna fish no. into the coffee <laughs> oh what like 25 cups worth of coffee and it's like in a vat with some no tuna no, no. As, in, as in like no as in like the standard standard coffee is like tiny bit of honey and a scoop of tuna fish in there please but I mean, yeah, that's not healthy. No, it's hard. Twenty-five cups of hey, coffee. Did DJ health teach you to tell you that one? <laughs> yeah, that's also throwing out the crucial component there, which is the steroids. But but he was ripped, <laughs> and he's still alive. So you know, and he's still ripped for his yeah. age. Yeah, for that last yeah, Rocky for... movie, he was. <laughs> He's becoming Creed. like dad bod rip though, isn't he? Where you can start to see it slowly unravel. 
but he is still uh, yeah, fit. A, well, I think at, like a certain age, you, at a certain age, you don't have a choice over that. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not, I'm not saying it. Yeah, I'm just saying it's happening. Unless you're a real the, physical freak, things are going to start to like, like Schwarzenegger, right? Like Schwarzenegger he's an incredible, he's incredible shape, but like some things are sagging and stuff. Like yeah. there's nothing he can do about that. Yeah, a couple of clothes pegs underneath and prop it all up or like a sports bra. <laughs> I, I'm surprised we didn't get on to a what is Sylvester Stallone's best movie rant. It's hard to the choose. Expendables. See, Expendables. I think it's 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 See, one. Yeah, of now, the, are it's... you a Stallone fan? No. So you're not. You think the Expendables is better than Rocky? Oh no, I mean sarcastic. No. Um, oh, okay. I'd probably even say something like Rambo was a bit of fun when it first came out. Rambo one or Rambo are... two? Common misconception. What about which one? one and <laughs> what's two? the misconception? What's the what's the misconception? Is that first blood is the the sequel? Um because that's the better one is first blood, supposedly. That's the higher ranked one usually. And that's the sequel. Or no, no, sorry, first I, blood's the first one. Is now I'm confused, see? Brilliant. Wow. So it's Not a really, people. really common misconception. You, so you, common that when it's in front of you, you're still surprised. No, because now, now, now it's. I'm pretty sure First Blood is the first one, but Rambo is the second one, and everyone says Rambo, but they really mean First Blood. I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> That's what I'm going with. We'll take your word for it. So, what's the best one? You think? I'm not a huge Stallone fan, so I don't think there's a lot of great movies to choose from in his list of appearances, but I would take Rocky one just because it's a kind of iconic movie. It is in a genre of kind of sporting movies. As we discussed, it's one of the best out there. I think you'd have to throw Rocky into some sort of discussion for best movie of the 20th century. I'm not putting it in, like I'm not picking it, but certainly it would make short lists. So to me, it's clearly Rocky, but once you start getting down to his sixth, seventh, eighth best movie, I think that's a pretty sad looking list. According to Rotten Tomatoes, Creed is his number one movie. Uh, I, I was going to say, is it something like that? Rocky's number two. Yes, um... number, number three is Ants, the animated wow. movie. <laughs> wow. Where was Judge Dredd? Hold, please. <laughs> 37th with a 20%. <laughs> I think that's a little harsh, but it's more of a cult film than a good film. Yeah, it's actually the critics' consensus, Sam. You could be a critic for Rotten Tomatoes. It wants to be both a legitimate violent action flick and a parody of one, but director fails to find the necessary balance to make it work. I wrote that. All right. Well, no more sport from me, unless you guys have got something else to add. Stallone's yeah, regiment, Schwarzenegger's regiment. No, Schwarzenegger <laughs> would take an entire podcast. I'm not, I'm not going into that now. <laughs> no, I don't got anything, because now all I'm thinking about is Chris Pratt and Parks and Rec when he acts out the new Rambo scene. <laughs> it's hysterical. <laughs> when, he, when they don't have the TV. <laughs> uh, all right, well... 
with that, I guess I'll talk to you boys later. See ya.